0: Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm in the studio with Andy Green, and Andy has some classic rock news for us. Andy flew out to London the other day to talk to Pete Townsend of The Who, who announced to Andy, to Rolling Stone, that The Who are planning to record their first new album in a while, that Pete has all the demos ready to go. Weirdly, he didn't wait until they actually recorded it. He just wanted to let Andy know that, that they were going to do it. And in a couple minutes, we're going to let you hear Andy Green talking to Pete Townsend. But this was kind of a surprise, like, they're reached out was like, Andy, we want to have you come out and talk. Yeah, it was pretty surprising. I got called
1: up and told that they're going to go on a tour and they have new songs and they both want to go talk to me about it. So I'm like, sounds good. I'll be out there. <laughs> I was supposed to talk to them both at the same time in a hotel room, but then Roger's travel plans changed so I went to Pete's house instead, which was pretty cool, and I talked to him there for about two hours.
0: So you go to Pete's house, which was like how far out of central London, like roughly?
1: I had to take it was two tube lines till the end of the tube then I walked a mile.
0: No kidding. Yeah. So you walk this mile. At the end of the mile, you ring the doorbell of Pete Townsend's house. Uh,
1: I was there about 10 minutes early and I didn't want to be early, but my phone had just died. And I was like, oh shit, I can't get back to the tube if my phone is dead. <laughs> so I was freaking out for a minute. I go, wait, Pete can just charge my phone. So <laughs> I knock on his door at the time and he answers and he says, you know, do you want tea or some water? I said, no, but my phone is dead. And he was okay, I can charge it. So we left and he found a cord and I'm like, thank Thank you, Pete. He was very helpful.
0: <laughs> that's awesome.
1: Yeah. He kind of showed
0: you his studio,
1: right? Yeah, at the end of it he walked me into the basement where he's this huge studio, because th- this was Ron Wood's house back in the day, and so he, <laughs> Did he buy it directly from Ron Wood, or was I it think an in an between there yeah. are other buyers, but the studio stayed, and Pete helped Ron install the studio. This was in the 70s, obviously. So the studio was always Pete's in a way, and he points to room, and he goes, yeah, so that's where Goats Head Super was recorded, and everything. It was
0: crazy. And did he have, like, a bunch of good Guitars and stuff.
1: There was guitars. There was vintage synthesizers. There was stuff everywhere. It was really for a Who fan. It was overwhelming to be down there.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of jealous, man.
1: Did he play you any music? He played me about one minute of one song. And what was the deal with that? They don't want me to talk about song specifics yet, which is a bummer. But that was the agreement that I made with them. Did he rap on it? No, no. It was okay. It was, I think you just broke the agreement. Yeah, I no. you. <laughs> yeah, there was no rap. But the deal is like they haven't recorded the album. Pete recorded demos. Yeah, he recorded demos that he told me were very elaborate and very. well-�-�-�-ed well done, and very professional. But he wants Roger to sing the songs, obviously. And he sent them off to Roger and didn't hear anything back and was kind of pissed about that. And Roger was supposed to talk to I spoke to him. Yeah. I spoke to him on the phone.
0: But it was supposed to be in person, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. But
1: it was still fine. But the main news that they wanted to get out was this tour that they're going out and they're playing on symphonies.
0: But Pete felt that in order to justify a tour, yeah, he, he, he needs to have new music. said
1: he said that he's getting sick of the snarky comments from younger bands that all the Who are good, but they just play the hits. You know, he felt insulted by some people, he told me, and he felt the need to prove the world that he can still do this.
0: Uh, I personally find that exciting. It's been a while since their last album, which had at least one song that I I really liked mm. on it called We've Got a Hit, and yeah. we should actually hear that.
2: We talked to Craft!
0: But it was kind of a wonky Who album. It wasn't, I wouldn't call it a real Who album. It was kind of eccentric for the most part. Yeah, and
1: that was 13 years ago, and that's their only record in the past 37 years. Yeah, but who's counting? Yeah. yeah. So they've toured nonstop, but just there's been such a lack of new stuff. But this tour will be largely before the album, and it's unlikely that they'll play any new songs on the tour.
0: So what was Pete like in conversation? I found him pretty intimidating, honestly. The one time I talked to him, I think if he's in the mood, he can be kind of fearsome. It sounds like your experience was a little different. No, I found him to be delightful. It's sort of
1: intimidating that you're sitting in this room and Pete Townsend is just right there. I mean, I'm such a big fan. But it was very light. It was very conversational. He talks a lot. He goes off on tangents. So you've got to be careful because a single word will send him on a story.
0: Well, one time I had a phone with him and it lasted longer than the time that I was supposed to formally interview him in person. He just talked and talked for like an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah, I think he loves to do interviews. I think that after the history of
1: the whole who like going way back to the 60s, he he likes to talk to the press and just sort of be unfiltered, just sort of
0: be completely honest. Right. He explained to on Wenner yeah. the entire story of Tommy before he'd ever yeah. released in any 1968. Thing. Incredible yeah. detail.
1: I asked him about playing Tommy on his tour. It's anniversary, and he said to me that he can just play a few songs off it. It's so personal to him. It's so intense. It's a reflection of, of such trauma in his past that he has a bit of a, of a breakdown when he tries to play most of the songs.
0: That's kind of weird. In that they played it like a thousand times, but now it's been a sudden, years. Yeah,
1: yeah. He said that. that they played it once in recent years at the Royal Ebert Hall for Charity, and he had a breakdown in the middle of doing it, he was telling me.
0: Wow, that's wild. Yeah. Well, I want to get to this interview. Let's hear Andy Green and Pete Townsend in Pete Townsend's London Home. All
1: right, so just tell me roughly about what the plan is for this tour that you're doing this year.
0: Well, I took
2: a year off. After we played South America, we did a desert trip, and then we went to South America. We played Mexico, and then we went to South America last year, and that ended a pretty busy year for me. So in October, I decided to take a sabbatical, and I spent a year doing personal stuff, trying to work out what might happen next, and out of that came the notion that I I had in, certainly enjoyed playing in. I'd enjoyed Desert Trip, I'd enjoyed South America and Mexico, and I'd enjoyed some of the shows that we did in Italy. That's not to say that I don't enjoy shows in America or the UK or <clears throat> Germany or France, just that we played there a lot, and so there was very little novelty. Right. So these new territories, and certainly playing at Desert Trip for me was great because it was a competition, in a sense. It was all these big acts and incredibly energetic, a real kind of old people's Coachella feel to it, you know, where it had a real vibe to it. So there was a lot of excitement. So I looked ahead and I thought, well, is there any doubt that I have about touring again? And I thought, well, there is. And that is that, you know, for such a long time, we uh, haven't had any creative workout, And I want creative workout. I'm constantly writing, constantly creating, constantly writing stories, lyrics, poetry, all kinds of stuff all the time. You know, I don't make films. I don't take photographs. I don't do any of the stuff that I did for a while when I was younger. So that became a condition. So I went to see our managers and I said, listen, if we can do an album, I'll write the songs. If we can do an album, I'll tour. Mm-hmm. So Of course, they went ahead and they booked the tour okay, of course. <laughs> and uh, I wrote the songs and then we kind of hit a wall because what actually happened was that Roger is very, very unsure of himself about creative work, about his voice, about the future and everything else. In fact, he wasn't even entirely sure about the tour. I should really let him speak for himself uh, from my point of view. I thought, well, let's go ahead and do the tour. And I'd spoken to Polydor in the UK, and they'd heard the songs that I'd written, and they were excited about it. So it felt to me that it was okay to shake hands and go ahead and tour. We normally work with AEG, and this mm-hmm. time we worked with Live Nation, mm-hmm. who I'd worked with for the first time on the Classic Audrafinia tour. Right. And I kind of liked them, and we, they made us a really g- good offer. AEG too, we worked mainly at AEG with a fellow called Larry Vallon, Mm-hmm. That goes way back with us to Anaheim Stadium, the very first stadium show that anybody ever did. It was with us and I think Blue Cheer or somebody, I can't wow. remember. But that was in 1970, I think. And mm-hmm. Larry was with us then with a guy called Weissmuller, and that the company was together, and that became AG. Mm-hmm. And he got sick and so he's not around anymore so i thought well we can start with somebody new so we're doing this with live nation it's the first tour we've done with them for some time
1: okay yeah and it starts roughly when you know
2: it starts in april i think late april goes through may Mm -hmm. and we start in new york i think we go to chicago detroit we're playing the northeast and Mm -hmm. central north yeah and i'm not quite sure where it goes from
1: there you're playing arenas in the states
2: we're playing arenas smaller shows and a couple of stadiums. I'm not quite sure where or or when but
1: And will you be playing new material at this point, too? That's a
2: question. I don't particularly want to hypothesize about whether we will or we won't, but we may play... We certainly, both Roger and I, want to play material that we haven't performed regularly. This will be a tour in which we play greatest hits, but we're hoping to do them slightly differently. Roger did a tour last summer, late summer, of Tommy with an orchestra, with a guy helping him out called Keith Levinson, who I met way back in 93 when I was working on Tommy on Broadway. Keith was the MD that took the A-class tour hour. He was the MD on that, so I knew him. And he was helping Roger with, you know, put together a band, deal with the sound level issues. I had also done some stuff, orchestral stuff, with my wife, uh, Classic Quadrophina. I'd done a few shows. We did The Met and we did a couple of other places, and I'd enjoyed doing that. Mm-hmm. So Roger fancied the idea of bringing an orchestra in to do a Who tour so that we could just do things in a slightly different way not every song would have orchestra on it but that's the concept at the moment however nothing is decided <laughs> i know i talking to keith a lot it was nice for me to speak to keith and find out that i knew him. he was married to janine levinson who was is now janine Tessori, who is the big broadway playwright you know who's had quite a few successes she was then janine levinson and she was the assistant music director on broadway tommy so I knew him from then so it was a nice closing of the loop and we'll get on well and it will be creative and there's lots of opportunities to do crazy stuff but I'm not quite sure what we'll be playing yet we're still kind of talking about songs and it's an exciting time because we're exchanging ideas but we will probably play a chunk of Tommy a chunk of Quadrophenia with orchestra and then a selection of songs that suit that kind of arrangement which actually broadens our scope hugely I think it means that we can do perhaps some of the lighter songs from the Lifehouse years so who's next year's like time is passing and too much of everything those kind of ballady songs which quite short they lack force when you play they're kind of like throwaways if you play them in a big greatest hit show with orchestra they might fly i don't know so that's where we are with that
1: and it'll be the same backing band as the previous tour with Zach and with everybody. Yeah. And Pino is now out, right? A new...
2: Yeah, he went out to work with... Is it
1: John Mayer? John Mayer, yeah. Yes.
2: John Mayer was doing a long tour and we were taking a year off. I was taking a year off, so we may not get Pino back. I'm, I'm very happy with John Button. He's good. He's not... You know, Pino's an individual. He's exceptional. It was a pity that he left when he did because he and Zach were starting to kind of gel a little bit. Mm. But John's good. He's really good. He's really good. He's great looking. He's got great personality. He's very a lucid player. Mm-hmm. and um, gets a good sound on stage. You know, I miss those kind of crazy moments of Pino you know, Lunacy. He just sort of occasionally come out with some amazing thing because he was always so fundamentally simple and then occasionally something would explode. Right. But yeah, so it's the same band.
1: And so it's the Tommy 50th, so will you be playing songs off Tommy that you haven't played on recent tours? Are you thinking about how to structure that Tommy portion?
2: You know, I wonder if I could talk about this now. I have real trouble with Tommy.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We did it recently at um, the Royal Albert Hall but mm-hmm. I wanted to do it for the Teenage Cancer shows, and I sort of had a bit of a breakdown halfway through it. I get very triggered by it. When I wrote it, I wasn't aware of a lot of the issues that I have personally. So mm-hmm. Maybe this is for another conversation.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's <laughs> so we will
2: play a kind of medley of stuff. It won't be anything unusual. So Okay, it'll be
1: like Sparks and like Amazing Journey yeah, and Irish all that stuff, stuff yeah. right? Then a Quadrophenia chunk.
2: I think that will be a tight medley as well both of them will be interesting to do with orchestra with having a band and orchestra i must say that when i heard that roger was doing this tour with an orchestra and had drums i just thought oh god Mm -hmm. you know it's so difficult to combine drums with strings because of the noise spill but also because strings have a much looser rhythmic syncopation but everything that I've heard about Roger's shows is good from the people that were on it and from people in the audience so I've got my fingers crossed yeah
1: (laughs) are you thinking about doing fan club shows in the states maybe to play a few theaters you know
2: we should really do it we should really do it you know rather than get caught up into a trying to do broadway stuff or whatever you know we should really just you know bang into the beacon you know i had to, a friend of mine went in to see dylan at the beacon last month or the month before last and uh said that he was better than they'd seen him for ages
1: it was astounding
2: yeah and, th- and that was a big surprise because i said why are you going to see dylan you know yeah. he can often be so
1: mm. disinterested and yeah. they
2: said it was fantastic
1: yeah there was something happened on this last tour i've seen him a ton that were just the shows where they were unreal
2: well that's good that's yeah. good because you know he does so much and you want you really want to see him enjoy it yeah you know what's interesting I think with Dylan certainly with me in the last five to fifteen years slowly but surely I've realized that happiness is not something that arrives Mm -hmm, (laughs) it's something that you suddenly kind of allow to happen I was telling my son who's had a bit of a a difficult couple of months just have faith you know when you get to be about 60 suddenly the cloud lifts i think it's really difficult and i think it may have happened to dylan yeah
1: so you're tempted to play the beacon with with the who do you think that would be like a different kind of show i'd love
2: to do it i'm just not sure quite when we would do it i think at the moment we're committed right the way through to the winter this year this but it's the kind of thing that i think roger and i could do one of the great difficulties with the who is not that roger and i don't get on it's that we don't communicate because over the years we haven't really developed a dialogue mm-hmm. and i don't think he may well disagree i don't think that the fault is on my side i think it is he feels perhaps a bit intimidated perhaps he feels that i'm overcomplicate things, I don't know but we think very, very differently mm-hmm. so if we were to do a show at somewhere like The Beacon we wanted it to be very, very different yeah. what would be difficult we, we would be in the same place we are now, we're trying to work out what to play with an orchestra, it's almost yeah. like throwing shit at the wall and hoping that somebody else, like Keith Levinson or somebody, is going to decide for us what we're going to
1: play I, <laughs> Do you email him, do you text him, do you talk on the phone, just like, how do you communicate?
2: We talk on the phone and that's the most successful although we don't decide very much on the phone but uh, yeah Roger's just about doing emails I don't know about text, right. and um, he's not very good at email. I think he would confess to that. He right. Doesn't really like it.
1: Right. So they announced a new Woodstock this morning. Are you guys going to play that? Yeah. So it's a, it's a,
2: also, what would we do? You know, I, it's kind of it's interesting. It's um, yeah. I don't know. I I don't even know if it's a good idea. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. When I worked at Faber and Faber as an editor, I, mean, yeah. I was a commissioning editor there too. It was all about anniversaries, you know T.S. Right. Eliot's yeah. 30th anniversary yeah. of the wasteland and we yeah. must you know, I would <laughs> think who gives a fuck about the anniversary, you know let's, know, let's just do a new copy anyway Yeah, and I think, but it does concentrate energy on an yeah. anniversary yeah. it's a sort of a reason for doing things, so, you know, I suppose what I would like to see at Woodstock would be, apart from much, much better organisation yeah, <laughs> um, and God forbid the kind of trouble that uh, I got into and Abby Hoffman and I got into together by trying to get politics and he wanted it in and I wanted it out maybe to allow Woodstock to embrace a much more widely spread musical canvas and also to allow some politics in
1: yeah, which is what he told me that is his goal, to make it more political.
2: Cool.
1: Uh, so the fans, they love to hear songs off of Who by Numbers and off of Who Sell Out. They are very
2: tempted, and we rehearsed them often. A few years ago, we rehearsed 45 songs, and when it got to actually doing the shows, mm-hmm. and we tried to play them. Yeah, the fans like it, but funnily enough, a lot of the people that come to see The Who now aren't hardcore fans, they don't know the music that well. They're coming to see us before we drop dead, or they're coming to see us because of our reputation, or they're coming out of curiosity, Uh so they don't necessarily know the music. What was interesting about playing South America and Mexico, and also playing some of the the smaller territories in Italy, for example Bologna, mm-hmm. was is that I realized that a lot of the much younger fans did know all the music because right. of YouTube.
1: Yeah. So, so a, they
2: were really familiar with it. So, you know, it's possible that at some point we might be able to drive into it. The thing is about that stuff, too, is trying to bring it to life I knew. You know, some of those albums were not albums that we were particularly crazy about when we did them.
1: Right. So. Yeah, but do you hear Imagine a Man Again or How Many Friends?
2: Imagine a Man, for example. Yeah. I remember the album came out. I got at least 20 letters mm-hmm. from hardcore Who fans saying, fucking get on with it and kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> this is not what we expect from the Who. And you- So although I look back and I think, yeah, it's a really good song and it's about reflection and I was mm. still young, yeah, it wasn't what people expected from The Who. It might be interesting for us to go back and look at it again, but it would be a bit autobiographical, I think.
1: Right. Sort of the stranger stuff off of of Who's Out that I've even done ever, you know, would you ever be tempted to go try, this, to try some of that stuff live? You're starting to sound like a fan. Yeah, you? sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am, yeah.
2: You know, I think, yeah, we are. You know, Roger often pushes. I, I don't want to make this sound like everything that I say about Roger is negative. Because, uh. But I do think he there, there is a difficulty for him, which is that his voice is great. He's really struggled to kind of keep it great by, you know, doing a lot of surgery and chasing his health and everything. Mm. And his voice is probably as good as it was when we first started working. And he's much better and more experienced and much more connected to who he is. On the other hand, he's always very anxious to introduce new material and to do things that we haven't done before. Mm. I think once he and I get together, we carry this brand with us I suppose you know which is a brand that is attached to a vision that has grown around us it's not necessarily the vision that he had for The Who and it's certainly not necessarily the vision that I had for The Who but it somehow happened in the middle Mm -hmm. and so we rehearse the songs we play them we get them up to speed we go out we do a sound check we might do a a set where we extend maybe by half an hour so we'll play two and a half hours and do that for two or three days and then suddenly I'll get a new new set list from Roger which is the same as the set list we've been doing for the last right he does the set list yeah so it's not to apologize for him but he does have to pace himself yeah so I think we could for example lower the standard of what we do in Mm -hmm. larger shows by doing longer shows and doing more varied material but i think some people would find it uncomfortable sure i think fans would like it and that's why perhaps it's time for us to look at doing a different kind of show i've always resisted doing that now i'll tell you why because i've always felt that what would actually happen would be, having done a few myself and now Roger has done a few himself mm. as well, is that what actually happens is that you're tending to do what, for example, what Dylan has done for years and years which is to do material in a way that you want to do it and not the way that the fans expect to hear it.
1: Right. You um, want
2: to find novelty in it.
1: I want to move on to the new album now. I'm, I'm yeah. very curious about that. So what's the status of it? I mean, if it was done in secret, I don't know anything about it.
2: Yeah, well, it was as I said, it was yeah. the condition. I was not going to sign any contracts to tour unless we had new material out there and this Mm. has got nothing to do with wanting a hit album it's got nothing to do with the fact that the Who need a new album it was just purely personal Mm -hmm. I felt that what was happening for me was that I was going out and I was listening to the synthesized organ sound beginning of Barbara O'Reilly and thinking oh weren't you a clever boy and Mm -hmm. you know I was 24 25 26 and the last album that we did is 13 years ago And it was a struggle to do that at the time, but we got it done and it was got to be a bit of a rush. So I just thought, you know, I don't really want to go out there and be, you know, and occasionally you do get schneid remarks from other musicians, particularly younger ones that are after your crown. Mm -hmm. And it might be, yeah, well, you know, they're going out doing their greatest hits too. It's the same old shit. That kind of sense of take your checkbook and crawl off to die kind of idea. And I thought, well, okay, you know, I'm creative. I'm still creative. I'm still writing all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to commit to make an album. And I thought if I commit, if I want to do that, I have to write the songs and not just write the songs. I have to do really, really good demos of the songs to get Roger excited about them because Mm -hmm. Roger is in difficulty there's no question about it you know I had to help him with his own solo album
0: right he didn't want
2: to put it out and I listened to it and I said to him this is fucking great it's not Sgt. Pepper but it's a great record (laughs) for a solo artist like you to do you sing great the choice of songs is great It's not the album he put out, by the way. I heard just the R&B stuff. I didn't hear the extra stuff that he did, which I like as well. But anyway, so I I pushed and pushed and pushed. And he he often needs that encouragement because he's so doubtful about where he stands with his own creative work. And I think he's got the problem that maybe a lot of singers have. He doesn't write his own songs. Right. He can write, though. He can write with other people in particular. Anyway, so I thought, I really need to do good demos. So I took a summer and I wrote 15, well, I had 40 songs. I did 15 demos, mm-hmm. really, really good demos, and sent them out to everybody. The record company went mad, Interscope went mad, and my publisher went mad, my managers went mad, all the bad went mad. Roger, silence. <laughs> and, um,. In the end, I bullied him to respond, and it wasn't exactly the response that I wanted. He didn't say he didn't like it, he just blathered for a while, and then in the end, I really stamped my foot and I said, well, you know, I don't really care if you don't like this stuff, you have to sing it. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll like it in 10 years' time, you always do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he cheered up and, uh, and says he's going to do his best to sing them. <laughs> so, and the ones he can't sing, I'll sing. It's a varied collection of stuff. Some of it's, you know, my taste is so broad. You know, I go from my new crush this week is Aaron Ray that I just discovered. And, you know, I just love his stuff. He sounds to me like the new Pharrell Williams. But I listen to a lot of Nat Radio as well. So I was listening to somebody that I thought was a brand new rap artist and shouting through the door to Rachel saying, there's this fucking amazing girl singer here. She's yeah. going to tell her to be Missy Elliott <laughs> 10 years ago. <laughs> um, so my taste is very very broad you know unlike a lot of musicians from my era I do love rap and I love mm-hmm. R&B and I've been listening to it since the beginning mm-hmm. you know since the New Orleans days so but I also listen to a lot of very very complicated dark o- orchestral music a lot of jazz a lot of folk music and mm-hmm. uh, world music you know I've got a big crush of Bulgarian and romanian rock music at the moment Mm. so you know there's that kind of stuff it's dabbling but i genuinely love it so the songs are quite a potpourri of stuff but there's got a couple of songs that are a bit hoo-ish, I
1: hope. Uh-huh. They're a bit hoo-ish in what sense?
2: Clichéd hooey, kind of. <laughs> they start with a guitar that goes Yagadang. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: uh, and they're just in demo like form now? Did Roger say anything? No, yet? they're
2: very, very good demos. You know, I'd, I've got five recording studios in my life, and I use them all the time, so they're very high quality. All Roger really has to do is sing. We'll have to tweak a few things. Zach's going to help me with the percussion. Mm It doesn't mean that he'll play the drums on them, but if he wants to play the drums on a track, he certainly can. He's going to help me with the beats. My brother Simon will help with shaping and arranging. And then we may hand everything over when Roger's done his vocals and I've done my vocals, if that's what I'm going to do on any Mm -hmm. of the songs, to a, a remix engineer. And I've got no idea when it's going to come out. Roger's away now until the beginning of March, so there's no time really for him to do vocals this year early.
1: are you going to be the producer on it? Is that going to...? You know, well,
2: I've produced the demo so far, so... I mean, what happened with Endless Wire was I ended up kind of as a virtual producer because I took the recordings that I'd made for myself and just... Mm -hmm added the hood.
1: So is the sound of this, is it very different than Endless Wire? I just want to get a sense more of what these sound like.
2: I don't think it's necessarily that much different, you know, I think there are a few dark ballads, there's some experimental electronica, there's, you know, some heavy rock stuff. Mm -hmm. some sampled stuff. I knew I only had three months. I don't work particularly fast because I have to play everything myself. And I also wanted to enjoy it. It was a great summer here. I started in, I got my big studio finished. I built a studio in a barn out in my country house in May. So I started in June. I did June, July and August and then just finished in the first week of September. And delivered in the first week of September. Delivered those fifteen songs. I don't know what will appear on the album. I'm certainly open to writing new material as well. A lot depends on the release date. I'd like to get it out early. I'd like it to be out there when we're touring. It'd be nice to be able to play a couple of songs from it. Two songs that I've worked on on other projects, which I've hauled in sideways. And Mm -hmm. uh, but no, there's nothing. It's all new material. Okay. And I wanted it to be new material, and I wanted it to cover where I stand at the moment. But I think that's enough I could, that I could say now about the album, because okay. more for the future. For
1: okay, just so there's no timeline. So it, it could be 2020 even, it could come out. No,
2: I think it would definitely be next year. Sorry, this year. Okay. Um, the question is, I think Polydor, who are a UK company, would like it in June mm-hmm. or July. I hesitate to tell you the reason but I will tell you the reason because it's very funny. Do you have Father's Day in America? Yes. It's it's June 4th or something, yeah. Effing Father's Day. <laughs> oh, yeah. wow. Which kind of they're hoping that. Anyway, if we if they can't have it by Father's Day, then they don't really care when they get it. Okay, <laughs> so they they probably be okay with September or October. Okay, so. yeah,
1: because with tour rehearsals starting in March, I guess. Yeah. Um, so the clock is really ticking.
2: It's ticking, but you know, it's possible. We used to make albums in much shorter periods, and it's always a rush at the end, anyway. Yeah. So it's just whether how important it feels to have the music out. Mm. I am happy to commit to doing the touring, knowing that there's new music coming out because mm-hmm. that's for my pride my sense of pride my sense of self-worth my sense of dignity mm-hmm. as a writer where I am now with what I do everything that I do you know in the last 20 years I've learned so much about about music and my craft and, and how I work I've grown up a huge amount and, and my writing is exceptionally good one of the difficulties that I've had about putting solo stuff out yeah. is that I've always been incredibly ambitious, so I've always wanted to do kind of grand, magnum opuses, and often fallen fallen at the last gate with it right. because. I've run out of money or I've run out of time or needed to go on tour and lost lost momentum or whatever. But I think in this particular case, what I what I really wanted to do was to write new material and that's why.
1: There are a lot of farewell tours at the moment. I could count like 15 probably. It's a real trend. Did that ever occur to you that you might want to do that or it will, it will never be like a farewell tour?
2: Well, we had one, didn't we, in a right. sense. Because yeah. our manager, Bill Kirvish in 1982, mm-hmm. we did a last tour and mm-hmm. I said to him that I didn't think I could write for the band anymore. We'd just done an album. I think it was It's Hard. Yeah. And uh, although there were a couple of pretty good songs on there, it felt to me like we'd hit a wall. Mm. And I'd got a bit smashed up by having so much pressure to write new material for my solo album contract as well. So I said, you know, I don't really want to do any more work with The Who for the time being. Or period, you know, that was how I felt. I just didn't want to discuss it. Right. But I didn't say it was the end. Mm. But our manager Bill Kirby decided it would be good to sell the tickets if he said it was a fair world tour. So right. we did a fair world tour and that lasted for a much longer than I think any of us thought. I'm not blaming him, but it wasn't right. my fault. Mm. So it does appear that I'm blaming him as his fault. I don't think any of the band at the time, if John was alive, we saw Kenny Jones was still active in the band. Mm. I don't think any of us saw it as an end. I think that everybody in the band accepted that I had a problem with the record deal. So what happened was that we paid the money that we got as an advance from Warner Brothers back to Warner Mm. Brothers. You have to realise it was a huge deal. It was a $30 million deal Uh. for three albums with two to follow with extra money if they were delivered and we'd done two with them then and so we had to give the money back for one of them Mm. or for one and a half of them and it just felt like the end of the world because the record industry then was that you know a bad record would sell two million and a big record would sell ten so it did feel like dark days Short answer, no, this is not a farewell tour. I don't know what we'll do. I think a lot of it is about whether or not we band it or whether Roger and I do something together. I've always said I don't want to be Roger Daltrey's accompanist. Mm -hmm. You know, let's face it, it's what I do a lot of the time. You know, I strum away at the guitar, and every now and again I have a solo and Roger glowers at me. Right.
0: Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and you're listening to Rolling Stone Music Now. We just played Andy Green with Pete Townsend. They talked about the new album that The Who are hoping to put out, the tour they're going on, and a lot of really interesting digressions. And Andy, you also talked to Roger Daltrey, and Pete had some interesting stuff to say about Roger. Seems like there's some kind of insecurity with Roger. He doesn't really want to record this album. And he's yeah. just feeling weird about the future. What's going on there?
1: So Pete told me that he painstakingly worked on these demos, and they're basically like finished songs that Pete's singing. Then he sent them to the label and the management and all these people, And he heard glowing things back, but from Roger, it was just silence. Then when he really twisted to get his response, he said that Roger was ambivalent about it and didn't want to kind of do some of the songs and was being a bit whiny about it. And he seemed generally
0: hurt. By Roger's response to it. Well it kind of makes sense if you take a step back that he would be hurt. I mean yeah. this is only the second time as you said in like 37 years he's like let's make a Who album and Roger's like eh, I have other <laughs> things to do you know I mean what else does he have to do that would be well, better than making what could the, be the final yeah, Who album? But
1: then he told me that they don't communicate well and Roger is just difficult to get a hold of and so then Roger called me a few hours later in my cell so I sort of asked him about this stuff Yeah, and he was very honest. He says look I was on a book tour for the last few months of the year. That took up all of my time. I had my mind set. It was on the book tour. Then my eardrum, it got perforated. I was in tremendous pain. I was almost deaf. I couldn't hear anything. I was in agony. So I didn't have time or even the physical ability to listen to these songs and digest them. I always went. <laughs> these guys are always having
0: these awful physical calamities <laughs> happen to them.
1: Well, he had meningitis and I almost died That's from it. That's what I'm saying. I it's mean, just like, oh, it's just. A- He's had horrible stuff. He's been through hell. So then he said to me, look, I will take time soon. I will digest them but from the ones I've heard I've heard a few songs that I can't add much to that I can't see my voice on so I think Pete should sing those and the others I think maybe
0: I can add to but it's still very early and I need time well here's the thing yeah Pete I think can get interestingly sort of rigid in his thinking it's perfectly acceptable to release a who album in which he sings a bunch of the songs yeah he it's not like he hasn't
1: sung songs by the who well I think he'll sing some of them yeah I just think he wants Roger to sing the vast majority of them. And Roger is ambivalent, which is surprising.
0: You would think he would really want to do a new Who record. It's peculiar. And of course you only heard one minute of one song, so you can't really speak to what the deal is.
1: Well then I asked Roger the possibility of them doing one new song on this tour. And he was like, if you play a new song, it's bathroom break time. He's very rigid on the Who's concerts are the Who's hits. And it's Roger's job to do the set list. He has complete power. So it's a surprising thing
0: there. And part of is because he has to physically be able to sing it, right? I mean, isn't that the issue? Uh, I think so, yes. What are the other reasons, though?
1: It's also the length of the show. Pete told me that if he was in charge, they'd do over two and a half hours, but that would just destroy Roger. And if Pete was in charge, it would be a smaller band like a very small band like the old days but Roger likes the three keyboardist and two guitarist and the whole thing that they have now
0: what's your sense of the future of this I feel weird calling it a band but the future of this uh, entity well, of the who
1: when I spoke to Daltrey he said that this could be his last tour you know I know that he always says that but he says look I turn 75 in a few months
0: wow my, I, I didn't yeah. realize that Oh my he
1: God. said I'm worried about my voice I don't want to do shows where my voice is really bad and I'm a human being I'm aging this will be a long tour, he says, look, it's very possible I'm just being
0: realistic that this is the end and if my voice goes, I'm done. Every time we have you on and we start talking about these classic rock guys, it starts to get really depressing, I yeah. have to tell you. Yeah, well,
1: 75 years old, I mean,
0: this group started in
1: 1962, that's like Mad Men
0: days, it was like <laughs> Kennedy was president, I mean, that's like early <laughs> Mad Men seasons. And I actually think it's important to point out that Roger is in one of the tougher positions because his is a vocal approach that's all power and yeah. projection and swagger and it's not a kind of sitting on a stool kind of thing yeah even Mick Jagger in a weird way doesn't have to like have that belting out from his fucking no, guts thing and Autry told me that the
1: one song he's really sick of doing is won't get fooled again I think because the primal scream at the end is killing him and what else did you take away from all this I took away that they have a very different vision for what this group should be right now he says that Roger he sees it as one thing and Pete sees it as another and they meet in the middle and even Pete said that they're a brand in a lot of ways. He says that people see our concerts that don't know our catalog all that well, and he's very aware of that. It's crazy.
0: Well, I'm really glad we were able to play that interview today. Mm -hmm. Andy Green, thanks for being here. Sure. Thanks for going to London and interviewing Pete Townsend for us. And this has been today's Rolling Stone Music Now. We'll be back next week here on Sirius XM's Volume, Channel 106. In the meantime, we are Podcast. Download us as a podcast. Subscribe to us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.